0: Amen. Well, I'd ask you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 3 to 5 this morning. And when you have that, I'd ask if you'd stand with me out of respect for God's Word as we read this passage together, a passage that talks about the living hope we have as followers of Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. We're going to be talking this morning especially about the Christians' living hope and trying to understand what that is and trying to grasp just a bit of the weight of what it is that we have received in Christ in terms of a future eternal inheritance. And we know that that's an important thing. It's an important thing to have hope. I mean, even on an earthly level, it's an important thing to have hope, to have dreams in this life. So Langston Hughes was a poet. He wrote a poem entitled Dreams. This is what he said. He said, hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. Hold fast to dreams, for when dreams go, life is a barren field, frozen with snow. And I think we've all kind of borne witness to the truth of that poem. It's a short poem, but it talks about a really deep reality, and the fact is that it's a very hard thing for us when our hopes and dreams are crushed. So many of us have lived long enough to see many young people kind of go out into the world and they have great hopes for the future, they have great ambitions, they have great dreams, things they want to accomplish, and we've seen for some of those, that those dreams have not been fulfilled, and the weight of that, the weight of the, the crushed dreams in their life has been so extreme that for some, they determined that the only way out was to end their own lives. But of course, it's not only like the suicidal who must say goodbye to their dreams. We need to remember that this is a dying world. So we can have dreams for this life, and the men and women of this world have dreams for this life, dreams for relationships, and for jobs, and for opportunities, and for status, and for success. And even if, you, even if you achieve those dreams, though, the reality is that you will not have them for long, because either you will die, or those dreams in one way or another will come to an end. Now, that might sound depressing, right? Right? And if it's all we had to say about that matter this morning, if all of our hope was tied up in what we could experience in our brief lives, it would certainly be depressing. But by God's grace, we have far greater news, far better news, that there is a hope that is eternal. There's something that we do not have to say goodbye to. You see, Christians, as Christians, we possess something that the men and women of this world, who are simply of this world, they do not possess. It is a hope that cannot be taken from us. The Bible calls it a living hope. It's a hope that's strong. It's a hope that's eternal. It is a, it's a hope that cannot die. So Christians suffer in this life, right? It's simply true that Christians do not have less cavities than non-Christians. That's a reality. We can certainly lose our jobs. We can certainly have our relationships come to an end. But even in the midst of loss, and sometimes the loss is grievous, we are people who never have to despair because what's most true, what's most essential, the possession we have that is most important, that can never be taken away from us. You see, we have a living hope, and that living hope is a strong thing. So no matter what you know, earthly hopes and dreams we may have to say goodbye to in this life, we have a hope that will never be taken away from us. We have an inheritance eternal inheritance, which is heaven, where we will live with God forever and ever. And this passage this morning just points us over and over to that hope. So we're continuing our study of the book of 1 Peter. Two weeks ago now, we looked at the greeting in verses 1 and 2. We thought about the fact that we are elect exiles. It's a theme that you're going to see throughout this book, that we're sojourners, that we don't actually belong in this world, that we don't have a home here And yet, because we are elect exiles, which is to say that we've been chosen by God for salvation to be his people, we do have a home. Heaven is our home, and we'll live there forever. We saw that. We thought together about the nature of our election, of God's sovereign choice, that this amazing reality that before time, God chose us for salvation so that we would belong to him, and we thought about God's intentions towards his elect. And this is one of the sweetest truths, that God is God- who desires that his children would know grace and peace abundant grace and peace in this life and then think about it perfect grace and peace forever and ever and ever and because he's strong he will see that each one of us receive grace and peace according to our needs. Well, now this morning we're beginning kind of the next section as we work our way through the first you know this letter of first Peter we're, we're looking at this next section which really runs from verse 3 to verse 12 and in this section of first Peter Peter is really praising God for his saving work in Christ. That's kind of the big theme of what we're looking at in these verses. So verses 3 to 5, it's going to be our special focus for this morning. Peter is praising God for the living hope that we have received. And again, that living hope he further describes as an eternal inheritance, and it's pointing us towards heaven. And then, Lord willing, next week we'll look at verses 6 to 9, and there we'll see how the living hope that we'll be discussing this week is actually the... It's actually the reality that enables us to endure the sufferings which we certainly will experience in this life well, Uh, knowing that our faith is being refined, tested, shown to be the real thing. And then verses 10 to 12, Peter is going to encourage his readers and us, of course, that they're living in a time when all of the Old Testament promises and prophecies of Christ had been fulfilled, which teaches us that our God is a faithful God and a trustworthy God. And so we're going to meditate on that reality in a few weeks from now, Lord willing. Again, this morning, we're just looking at verses 3 to 5. These three verses highlight the fact that God has caused believers to be born again to a living hope. And they also highlight the fact that God guards believers so they do not fail to inherit that hope, that inheritance that is before them. And these are glorious truths. Really, these are reasons to praise God. It's what Peter's doing in this passage. He's praising God, and so that's how we're going to set up the sermon this morning. We're going to see two reasons why believers should praise God. If you're taking notes, you'll see them there. Perhaps you got the sheet as you came through. Two reasons to praise God from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. The first reason is that God has caused believers to be born again to a living hope of salvation. We'll see that in verses 3 and 4. And then a second reason, God guards believers through faith for salvation. And we'll see that when we look at verse 5. Let's look at that first reason together then. God has caused believers to be born again to a living hope of salvation. Look at the first part of verse 3, and this is how Peter begins this praise. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word blessed there translates a Greek word from which we get the English word eulogy. And the idea is that Peter is is praising God. He's speaking well of God for what God has done for those who belong to him. And then in the second part of verse 3 through verse 4, you see why exactly Peter is praising God, what it is that's eliciting this praise. He praises God for causing believers to be born again to a living hope of salvation. So look at the second part of verse 3. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, verse four, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now there is so much in this passage that I thought about maybe the best way to kind of unpack all that you see in this these first two verses. I thought of three questions that we're going to ask and answer to hopefully guide us as we think about what Peter is praising God for here. First question, what does it mean to be born again? Second question, why did God cause believers to be born again? And then the third question, well, what are believers born again to? Let's look at the first question. What does it mean to be born again? Peter says he has caused us to be born again there. That's really the heart of this section, what God has done. So what does that mean? Well, many people think when they hear that term born again they think of kind of an emotional response to a church service so they were in a church service and the preacher you know he's passionate and he is going on about true things and they feel quite emotional in their heart and in that moment they decided to become a christian and they understand that to be being born again and it's very true that sometimes a person's conversion can be quite emotional that certainly does happen but when peter speaks of being born again what we need to understand is that he's talking about something that is much deeper than mere emotion right emotion is something that comes and goes right emotion is something almost at times it's outside of us and it can very easily leave us but what peter's talking about here is something that does not leave us why because he's talking about god granting spiritual life to those who before lacked it so before they did not possess spiritual life but now when they are born again of god well now they possess spiritual life. And in John chapter 3, the Lord Jesus spoke about this reality with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. I want to read that to you from John chapter 3. Just the first eight verses, you could follow along in your own copy of God's Word or listen as I read this account. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees. Remember, the Pharisees were kind of the religious elite, the religious leaders of the people of Israel in Jesus' day. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi or teacher, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? do not know Jesus, as you read through the Bible, you'll see that he speaks as no one else speaks. And he's talking about this spiritual reality. He's talking about an act of God through the Holy Spirit, where you have a a man, a natural man, a man or woman of this world. Their entire life is just kind of bound up with this world, and their going along, and they may think that they know God, but Jesus says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven, and so they don't know the true God. So here, they're going along in their life, and actually, they're spiritually dead before God. They don't have a capacity to have a relationship with God. Indeed, actually, they're hostile towards God in the way that they live and think and feel, but then something dramatic happens. The Holy Spirit comes, like the wind going where it will, while the Holy Spirit comes into their lives and gives them spiritual life. He or she is born again. The person is now alive to God. He or she is now able to see with spiritual eyes. In the words of the Apostle Paul, he or she is now a new creation in Christ who will live and act and respond as new creations live and act and respond. So being born again isn't simply deciding to be a Christian Uh, Being born again isn't simply adopting a new set of beliefs about God or Jesus. Like, okay, I think Jesus is God now. I guess I'm a Christian. It's not that. Being born again isn't simply trying your best to live like Jesus. I'm going to do my best because he seems like a good person. No, being born again is a dramatic thing. We're talking about a spiritual reality. We're talking about life out of death. We're talking about something only God can do by his spirit where he comes into a person's life and grants them spiritual life. And friends, only God can do that. Only God can cause us to be born again. And here's what you need to hear this morning. If you would be saved, friend, you must be born again. You must be born again. Well, there's a second question. Why did God cause believers to be born again? Well, Peter says there in the first, kind of the end of verse 3, at the beginning, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. So notice what Peter does not say. Peter does not say that God saw something desirable in us, and so he caused us to be born again. He doesn't say that God foresaw that at some point in the future we would believe in God, and so he caused us to be born again. He doesn't say that God was lonely or that God was missing something and saw that we would be his friend, and so he caused us to be born again. That's not what Peter says. Why did God cause us to be born again? Friends, the teaching of the Bible is that it has nothing to do with anything in us. We're not better than other people. We're not smarter than other people. We're not luckier than other people. It doesn't have anything to do with who we are. Friends, it was God's own mercy that led him to reach into our lives and give us this this immeasurable, incalculable gift of spiritual life. It was God's great mercy. You notice he uses the word great there, highlights the mercy. It's his great mercy that caused God to overcome the greatness of our sin Mercy is an attribute of God that leads him to move towards those who are suffering and needy. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing when you see a merciful person, because a merciful person will not move away from suffering. A merciful person will move towards suffering in order to relieve that suffering, that need, and that's who God is. He is merciful. And our sin had left us in a miserable place. We were living under the wrath of God because of our sin. We were separated from God, and, and such was the nature of our spiritual blindness that we didn't even realize it. You know, we didn't think that we were like a 10 on the spiritual scale, but many of us thought we were a 6 or a 7 spiritually you know, at least we were better than most other people that we knew. What we didn't realize is that we were completely devoid of the righteousness we needed to stand before God. We had no idea that even our best efforts were so stained with self and sin that they could never be acceptable to a perfectly holy God. And had God left us there, we would have faced his judgment forever. But notice that God is great in mercy. That's what Adam read for us this morning from Ephesians chapter 2. What a beautiful passage. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Christ's fellowship. Praise God for his mercy. It's why this morning you have been born again. A third question, what are believers born again to? Peter says he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Well, what are we born again to? Peter says we're born again to a living hope, a living hope. Now, again, the men and women of this world, they have hopes. They have things that they think they would like to see happen. You know, I hope I get into that school. I hope I land that job. I, I hope he will marry me or she will marry me. I hope I can retire at 45. But the hopes of this world are uncertain things, aren't they? Might get them, might not get them. And what is, what, what is certain about those hopes, as we've already said, is that eventually, whether you get them or not, they don't last. You will eventually lose that thing that you are hoping for because this world is passing away. But in stark contrast, Peter says that Christians, believers, have been born again to a living hope. It's not a dying hope like the hopes of this world. It's a living hope. It's a hope that cannot die. Why? Because it's rooted in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice he says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And what is that saying? It's saying, well, friends, our hope isn't something where we just kind of hope it's going to happen. Actually, it's a strong thing, and you see the reality of the strength of our hope from the fact that Jesus, who is our hope, he conquered death, and our hope is this, that just as he rose from the dead, so we will rise with him, in him, and we will live with him forever in a new world. So the Christian hope is not a, I hope it happens. The Christian hope is a, I am sure, as sure as the resurrection of Jesus from the grave, I am sure that I will be with him forever. And that sure confidence of eternal life with God forever and ever is what Peter's referring to when he further describes their living hope the way he does at the end there of uh, the beginning of verse 4, as an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So what is this living hope? Well, he further describes it as an inheritance, an imperishable one, an undefiled one, an unfading one, one that is kept in heaven for you. So here's the picture. The men and women of this world, the the men and women who all they can see is this world, they are kind of passing from one hope to the next to the next, and they are slowly losing them all. But because of the great mercy of God, those of us who have been born again have been born again to a hope, and it's a living hope. It's a hope we cannot lose. It is an inheritance that's waiting for us. It's a full world of glory that's waiting for us, and we will arrive there maybe maybe a few more days, maybe a few more months, maybe a few more years. We don't know the time, but we do know with certainty the reality that we will certainly Inherit this great inheritance. Now, in verse 4, Peter tells us about this inheritance. He gives us kind of four descriptions of what this inheritance is like. He first says that it's imperishable. That word imperishable there, it's from a Greek word that speaks of something that cannot be corrupted. Something that cannot be spoiled. Really, most especially, something that can't be touched by death. And he also says that it's undefiled, and throughout the Old Testament, as you read the Old Testament, I hope, I hope you'll be reading through the Bible this year. If you've never done that before, this is a great year to read through the Bible. And as you read through the Old Testament, you'll see this word defiled used over and over, and it refers to something that has been been contaminated in such a way that it cannot enter into the presence of God. And by saying that our inheritance is undefiled, well, it means our inheritance is untouched by sin. It contains nothing that is unworthy of God. Indeed, our inheritance is God. Third Peter says it's unfading. That word unfading refers to something that can't grow dim, something that can't wither. So earthly gold, even earthly gold, eventually it tarnishes, it grows dull, but the glory of our eternal inheritance will be brilliant forever, will never fade. And then he gives a fourth description there. He says, kept in heaven for you. And the idea is that this inheritance is safe, and who's keeping it? Well, God is keeping it. God himself is keeping this, guarding it, watching over it, so it can never be lost. So listen again to these four descriptions of our inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is the living hope. This is the eternal inheritance that is ours in Christ, and it is nothing like anything in this world. This world is marked by death, this world is marked by sin, this world is fading away, but if you are a Christian, well, then you have a living hope, an eternal inheritance, something that can't be taken from you. It's a world that is unspoiled by death, unstained by sin, and unimpaired by time. And I just think that's so hopeful, so hopeful. So is it any wonder that Peter is praising God the way he does? Is it any wonder that he begins this letter praising God in light of this great reality that we have received in Christ? So let's just make one application before we move on. As believers, as those that actually possess this, brothers and sisters, we should think about it. We should meditate on it, right? It occurred to me as I studied verses 3 and 4 that that's what Peter is doing. What's he doing here? Well, he's actually thinking about this inheritance. He's thinking about this living hope, and he's even describing it for these believers so they can understand a little bit more what God has done for them and making them heirs of this matchless treasure. And what was the result in his life? Well, the result was what that he rejoiced and he overflowed with praise to God. And it's a good model for us because if you're anything like me, you know it's so easy to get your head focused kind of on today's problem, today's difficulty, today's struggle, tomorrow's fear, as opposed to setting our minds and our hearts on this treasure, this inheritance that cannot be taken from us. Meditating on the inheritance that's being kept for us in heaven will give us joy in seasons of suffering. So remember, as you go through this letter, Peter is writing to suffering believers. These are people that are beginning to experience persecution for following Christ. They are suffering, and suffering, any suffering, is difficult. It's hard. But if we keep this heavenly inheritance in front of us, it will encourage us to rejoice despite our suffering. Why? Because I'm suffering right now, but in light of the inheritance, I can see that my present suffering, well, it's what Paul says, it's momentary, it's light. Even more than that, I can actually rejoice in the suffering, not in the suffering itself, but in the fact that the suffering is something that God uses to produce in me and in you, brother and sister, a greater weight of glory. What an interesting thing to think that all of the weirdness and difficulty and stress of 2020 will be used by God to make heaven better for you if you're in Christ. And we don't have any clue what's going to happen as we keep going through 2021. We do know that every ounce of suffering in 2021 will be used by God to make the inheritance sweeter, more precious. And so we can rejoice despite our suffering. And meditating on the inheritance that's being kept for us in heaven will also give us peace in seasons of loss. Now, it's obvious that, that loss is a form of suffering, but I want to just kind of highlight loss because the inheritance that we can't lose so perfectly answers that form of suffering. You know, we can lose things in this world, can't we? We can lose many things. We can lose our health. Today, you can feel perfectly healthy and then you go to the doctor for a checkup and he or she can say cancer. We can lose our jobs. Today you can have a very successful career. Tomorrow you can walk into the office and your employer can say you've been downsized. Now we can lose relationships, sweet relationships. Today you can enjoy a loving relationship with your spouse and you can wake up tomorrow and be a widow or a widower. We can lose things, we can lose precious things in this life, and loss is difficult, but we can have peace in seasons of loss. Why? Because there's something we can't lose, and that which we can't lose is infinitely greater than anything we can lose in this life. And so if we keep this thought before us, we can have peace even in times of loss because, well, we have this treasure that's kept for us in heaven. And meditating on the inheritance that's being kept for us in heaven will also lead us to be marked by praise to God. That's what you see Peter doing here. What's he doing? He's praising God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because God is the source of this inheritance that can never be taken from us. We always have a reason to praise God, right? It feels like we always have a reason to complain, right? There's always some difficulty, there's always some struggle, and if we focus our eyes on the struggle and the difficulty, well, we'll have a reason to complain. Peter's saying, actually, you can look up to heaven and you always have a reason to rejoice and to thank God and to praise God for this grace that's always just before you. So how can we do this? How can we grow in this? Let me give you just a few ideas. We can We can read passages of Scripture like 1 Corinthians 15 and Revelation 21 and 22, which Dan Roper read from earlier for us in the service, because those passages, well, they speak to us about the glory that is awaiting us in Christ, and we can just read through and we can think about those, perhaps even memorize those chapters of the Bible, that they would always be before us. We can spend time meditating, thinking about what it will be like when we arrive in heaven, Randy Alcorn has a book on that entitled Heaven. It's helpful just to kind of tease out what it might be like to to be in a new heaven and a new earth in the presence of God. We can regularly offer prayers of praise to God for the living hope that he has given us in Christ, that our prayer lives would be enriched because we're keeping this hope before us, We can meet up with other Christians, as we should, for accountability, for prayer, for encouragement, but we can use some of that time to talk with one another about what heaven will be like. Now, that may feel weird at first. Why? Because we're not very practiced at it, are we? But we can grow in that, can't we? Well, what a good thing in 2021 if we grow in thinking and helping one another think about this inheritance that is just ahead of of us. If you're like me, you need to grow in this discipline of reminding yourself about this living hope, about this inheritance. I think it's hard for us because as Americans, we're often very, very comfortable. This world doesn't seem so bad currently. I mean, these are pretty comfortable lives in many, many ways. Of course, that's not to, not to say that there's not pain because there is, and there's much pain in this room this morning. But if you're like me, this is an area where you need to grow and meditate and think and pray on these issues. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you've realized that you don't actually know what I'm talking about. What is it to possess a living hope? What is it to have an inheritance, a hope of heaven that can't be taken? Perhaps, friend, you've realized that you don't have that. Well, what should you do? Well, friend, the way to receive that inheritance, the way to enter into that living hope is to believe in Jesus. It's to trust in Christ. It's to receive his salvation. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Christianity that you can embrace today, that God created you, friend, to have a relationship with him. Uh, He loves you, and he, he wants you to love him and serve him. He wants you to kind of build your life on him as opposed to building your life on sand that's going to be taken away from you. And yet you're just like me and just like everyone else in the room this morning in that when we were born from our very earliest moments, it felt natural not to live for God. It felt natural to live for ourselves. And so that's what we have all done. The Bible calls it sin. It's taking God out of the center of our lives and placing anything else there. And we've all done that. And that's led us to uh, ignore God, to reject God, to disobey God. It's led us in countless ways to harm others as well. We all know that we have done things that are wrong and not just a little wrong. We've done things that are wrong on a very, very deep level. The Bible says there's no way we can be good enough for a holy God. There's no way we can come into his presence and be welcome because he's holy and we're not holy. But the good news of the Bible is this, that God is a savior who saves broken, needy, sinful people. Uh, He's a God who gives an inheritance, and it's his mercy that leads him to do it. It's his grace that accomplished it. How? God the Father sent his Son into the world. The eternal Son of God became a man, Jesus Christ. Jesus always obeyed the will of his heavenly Father. He always loved people precisely the way they needed to be loved. He never served himself. He came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, which is to say he came to die in the place of sinners, bearing their penalty for their sin, that's what he did on the cross. He bore in himself the wrath of God against the sins of all who will turn from their sins and trust in him. He died, but then he rose from the dead. And that's where this hope comes from. You see it again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's where the hope comes from. Christians are not people that say, be better, be nicer, do good things. We're people that say, we have already failed to do those things, but Jesus succeeded. Trust in him. He overcame death so that you might be saved. Friend, this morning, if you will turn from your sins and put your hope in Jesus, and Jesus alone for salvation, God will welcome you as his son or daughter. All your sins will be forgiven. You will enter into this hope, this inheritance. It's given to you as a gift in Christ. There is no better news. There's no greater reality. So trust in Jesus this morning. Put your hope in Him this morning. Enter into life that is true life, not a dying life, but eternal life. Eternal life. is offered to you this morning. We pray that you will put your trust in Christ this morning. So in verses 3 and 4, we see the first reason why believers should praise God. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope, a living hope of salvation. Now, more briefly... A second reason to praise God, God guards believers through faith for salvation. So look at verse 5. Who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So in verse 5, Peter switches his focus. Do you notice that? first, he's focusing on the inheritance of the believer, the hope of the believer. But now in verse 5, he switched his focus, and now he is focused on the believer themselves. He's focused on what God is doing for these believers and, of course, what he's doing for all of his people. Why? Because he knew his readers might be thinking, well, it's well and good that the heavenly inheritance is safe, but what if I don't make it there? What if I start trusting in Christ, but I somehow fall away? What if I stop believing in Jesus and I don't make it to heaven? Well, this is how Peter addresses the concern. I love the way that he does it. What does he do? He focuses the believers on God's power, not their ability. He's talking in verse 5 about what God does and what does God do, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Who are believers? Believers are people who are guarded by the power of God. That word guarded is translated shielded. If you have the new international version of the Bible, it's translated protected protected. If you use the New American Standard version of the Bible, the idea is that God has taken it upon himself to keep his children safe and secure as they pass through this world. In other words, it is God who perseveres his people. It is God who sustains his people. It's God who brings them through this life so that not one will ever be lost. Friends, it's not just that our inheritance is secure— It's that we are secure, and praise God for this reality. So maybe we can get at what Peter is asking by asking uh, a question, or what he's saying by asking this question. So think about if you've you've, uh, been a Christian for any period of time, you have experienced this, you've known people who used to claim to be Christians, but now they've walked away from Jesus, they've walked away from the church, they don't have any interest in Christianity anymore. Why is it that they rejected Jesus and turned their back on him, but we haven't? Why have they wandered away, but we haven't? Are we better than them? Are we smarter than them? Are we stronger than them in some ways? No, the reason why we keep believing is that God is guarding us through faith. God is continually strengthening our faith so that even as we continue to believe, there's this mysterious interaction where God himself strengthens our belief so that we keep believing, so that we never stop believing all the way to heaven. I think of it in the picture that you see when you read through Pilgrim's Progress, and and Christian there, he's in the house of the interpreter, and he's shown this vision of a man, and the man is trying to put out a fire, and he's pouring water on the fire, trying to put the fire out, but despite what he does, the fire never goes out, and Christian is perplexed by that. Why doesn't the fire go out? But then he walks around behind the fireplace, and he sees another man who's pouring oil on the fire, so that the fire never goes out, and it's such a perfect picture of what we're talking about. Satan and the world are doing their best to put out our faith every single day, but it never goes out. Why? Because God is the one who, like the man behind the fire pouring, or he's continuing to strengthen our faith so that we continue to believe, and we will do so all the way to heaven. We are safe and secure because God is guarding us. It's the hymn from Augustus' Toplady. My name from the palms of his hand, eternity will not erase. Impressed on its heart, it remains in marks of indelible grace. Yes, I to the end shall endure, as sure as the earnest is given, more happy, but not more secure, the glorified spirits in heaven. Which is to say that those who have gone on before us today may be more happy than we are, but they're not, they're not more secure than we are because we are being guarded through faith by omnipotence. It's a glorious truth. So in these verses, we see two reasons to praise God. God has caused us to be born again through a living hope, to a living hope of salvation, and God is guarding us through faith for salvation. God is not only keeping our inheritance safe, He's keeping us safe. So we may lose earthly hopes, they may pass away, but our living hope will never pass away. It's being kept for us, and we're being kept for it. And God deserves praise and honor and glory for all of it. So let's let's pray. Lord God.